0: We will be looking at both passages that uh, Dixie read for us, and I will be referring to the handout that is in your bulletin as well. Um, before we begin, I'd like to uh, like to just mention a few things for you. Some things that are on my heart. Just ask you to pray for, and uh, and then to uh, well, first to greet some people. Uh, Cliff. It's very nice to see you. Our dear friend Cliff is here. He is one of our missionaries, and, uh, and Cliff, it is, I'm absolutely thrilled at what God is doing. Are you on our schedule to speak here at some point? Not yet. Okay, we need to get him on the schedule, because it's so exciting what God is doing in that, in that country, and so we've been praying for you. Uh, I love your letters, and I'm so thankful to see you here, and uh, can't wait to hear from you. John and Beth, welcome. Traveled all around the world, or halfway around the world. We were so concerned when they started doing the whole, you know people can't show up for work and can't fly in any airplanes, and we were very concerned you were gonna be stuck somewhere. And we, we greet you, Mrs. Vinalas, and uh, it's, it's exciting to have you guys here with us. Uh, please pray, um, please, as you continue to pray, and, and they're on the prayer list, uh, please pray for Chuck and Marlene. Um, you know, one of the difficulties of being very ill and having to get serious tests uh, is that you don't have the opportunity to get fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ because you're not allowed to come to church because you may get COVID, and then if you get COVID, you can't have your tests or your surgeries. So one of the things that COVID does, if you go to the hospital, nobody can visit you, and uh, if you, if you, uh, and if you, that, uh, Chuck and Marlene. Have, are living right now in um, the battle of great fears um, and uh, a, a very serious diagnosis. And so we just really ask that you would continue to pray for them and that you would uh, support them in prayer. Uh, secondly, I'd like you to, and I didn't ask you all folks this, but I'd like you to pray for our dear friends around Trees, our brothers and sisters in Christ. They've suffered a loss in their family this, this week, a death, and Andre also needs to go to... Uh, Philadelphia and and handle some important family matters uh, and 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 such and so I would just ask that you would pray for this dear family throughout especially throughout this week really uphold them and help them that God would lead them and guide them in in that midst and also even as they go to their families that they would see the power of God at work and witness as they witness to their families and such so let's support and encourage one another in that let's pray before we turn to the word of God. Father in heaven, we thank you, we praise you, we glorify you as our God. We just love you, and we just can't even imagine life without you. Um, We can't imagine what it would be to wake up every day and to literally be void of you in our lives. Have our own strength, our own hope for luck and this whole world and all of its dangers and then death to have to face alone. We thank you that that will never be our situation, that we will always have you, that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you are for us. And Father, we just come to your word now, knowing that you sent your son to die for us, you purchased us with blood, you love us so dearly. Father, we just come to your word now, and we say to you, as your children, your beloved children, also as your servants, we say to you, show us, show us what you would want us to know this morning. Teach us. We come with open hearts. We just clear our minds right now, and we just ask you, as this Bible is opened up for us, speak to us, we pray, through the power of your Holy Spirit, help us. We come as willing hearers, and we come determined to do. Help us, we pray. Give us your Holy Spirit. Lead us, direct us, guide us, teach us. We just need you. We always need you. And we thank you that you are so willing to meet that need. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Cassie and I were talking the other day, and it reminded me, in our conversation, led me to be reminded of something that uh, I was told early on in my Christian life by a missionary. And I was told this because I was a missionary at that point, out of my culture into another culture, into the inner city of Pittsburgh. And he told the story of when, as a young missionary, he went to Africa. And when he went to Africa, uh, he looked out his front door one day, and there, sitting under a palm tree, was a man. And uh, he kept looking and watching as he was going through his day, and the man sat there for hours and hours and hours. Finally, he went out, and he said to the man, he said, Hi, uh, you're sitting here in my front yard. I was just wondering why you're sitting here, what you're doing. And he says, Don't worry. He said, "I'm, I'm just sitting here to meet my brother. And he said, oh, okay, okay, great. And uh, went back into the house and things like that. And the guy sat for hours and hours and hours. And then he sat there all night. And then he sat there all the next day. And he kept going out and he says, you know, any son? No, no, I haven't seen him. And then he sat out there all night all night again. And then the third day, my friend went out to him and said, now listen, when is your brother coming? And this was the answer that he got. I am not waiting for the time, I am waiting for my brother. And that's when my missionary friend said, I realize I am in a completely different culture. <laughs> they think very differently than I do. I need to get on this cultural wavelength. This is a culture that is not time-oriented, it is relationship-oriented. The guy, had never occurred to him that he should be looking at his clock and worrying about his time. We do that. He was, he was just waiting for his brother. And when his brother showed up, then, he, then it was time to go. And Tom, that was my friend, Tom realized, I need to change my entire way of thinking here. Well, dear friends, this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 20 is one of those passages that tells you I need to change my complete way of thinking here. Jesus is going to tell us you need to change your complete way of thinking here. And so that's what we're going to look at today. This passage of Scripture has from uh, Matthew 20 verses 17 through 28, has a real natural structure to it. And that's going to kind of be the three points, as it were, this morning. A real natural structure. And that structure that emerges right from the text is three private conversations. Three private conversations. So think of it like this. Think of it like, hey, we need to talk. Come on over here. We need to talk. Or can, 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 we, can we get our heads together about this kind of thing? So we're going to look at three different conversations. They're private conversations. They're, they're separated from people. And that's going to be the structure that we're going to look at today. So first conversation is found in verses 17 through 19. It says this. Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the 12 disciples aside On the road, and said to them, Now, notice here, Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem and he's traveling with an entourage of people. There are way more people than just the 12 disciples. But he says, You you 12, these apostles that I have pointed out, we need to come over here. We need to talk. Let's go over here privately. He pulls them aside privately. And then notice what he says Behold, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify, and the third day he will rise again. So Jesus here outlines exactly what is going to take place. Listen, you guys here, I've got you privately. You are my apostles. This is what's going to happen when we get to Jerusalem. I'm kind of preparing you for it, and I'm laying out, and I'm outlining in very specific detail, and he does. If you look at verse 18 and 19, that is actually what is going to play out uh, right as we get to the end of Matthew. For instance... Notice, I'm going to go, the Son of Man, the the glorious Son of Man, as as given to us, the name that comes from Daniel there, the Son of Man, will be betrayed. I will be handed over, the word means. I will be handed over first to the chief priests and to the scribes. And then the chief priests and scribes are going to hold a tribunal and they're going to condemn me to death. And so notice as he's outlining this, and and they will condemn him to death. He's speaking in the third person about himself. And then they, he says, will deliver me over to the Gentiles. They will deliver me over to the Gentiles and the Gentiles will mock me. The word means to to make fun of, to to play with, to toy with, and to degrade. They will mock me. That was very much a big part of of the suffering of the very Son of Man. And then they will scourge me. They will flog me. They will beat me. And then they will crucify me. They will kill me. And then the third day I will rise again. Now, I want you to notice something here. Number one. I want you just to grasp, just think in your mind right now what Jesus is going through at this moment. I'm heading to Jerusalem, and this is what's going to happen to me. All of these horrible things that I've outlined. Do you find in your own life that when you go through an experience, a difficult experience, uh, maybe a trial that's that's coming in your life, maybe you have to have a, a very serious surgery or something like that, do you find that your anticipation of it is an actual real part of the suffering. And sometimes our anticipation is the worst part of the suffering because you, you have an experience and you say, you know, that wasn't as bad as I, as I feared. But Jesus here, does his anticipation is not going to be worse than the suffering. In, in fact, in many ways, the suffering is going to be worse. But Jesus anticipates what this is going to, how this is going to work out. Now look at chapter 21, verse 1. This is very near to the time that they actually go to Jerusalem. So imagine, and the triumphal entry is chapter 21. So, dear friends, imagine what if this was your week coming up. Your week coming up was I'm going, to be, I'm going to be seized by these people. I'm going to be condemned to death. I'm going to be mocked, whipped, crucified. And then the third day I will rise again. What would that be like? Like what if at this moment you were sitting here and you were saying in your mind, this week I'm going to have a terrible surgery and the doctor has already anticipated to me that it is going to involve an immense amount of pain. Or what if this week was a week in which you are going to go to, you're, going, you're in, you're in a, a trial right now and the verdict is going to be read this week And that verdict may very well be that you're gonna go to prison for the next 15 years or 25 years or forever, life without parole. And that was what you were anticipating this week, or death, execution. What I want you to understand here is the immense pressure that is upon Jesus. And his willingness to go. I'm going and I'm going to suffer this. I'm going to experience this. I'm going to die. This is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to work out. You might say, Yeah, but look, he says in three days he's gonna rise from the dead. I get that. We just sang To, to die to death is not it's not death to die. Nevertheless, if you were going to have a surgery, what if you had a surgery, you had a surgery coming up this week, and the doctor said, we're going to attempt this surgery, but there is a 50-50 chance that you are not going to make it through. You're going to say, well, I'm just going to go to heaven. We do believe that. That would be our strength. That would be our comfort. But that would not absolutely obliterate the fact that this this thing could be painful this thing could be difficult this thing th- that doesn't obliterate all that and so i want you to understand this is jesus and what we're going to see in the rest of the book of matthew this is jesus forcing himself out of love for god and his father obedience to his father out of out of love for us jesus forcing himself to jerusalem and to experience this terrible death in fact Dixie read this in the Philippians 2 passage, and it says in Philippians 2, 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and notice this, and became obedient to the point of death. There's obedience, even the death of the cross. And this is this idea that Jesus is forcing himself to, obe- to in obedience and forcing himself to the cross to give himself in obedience to his Father and out of love for us. That's the first private pair conversation. <clears throat> and then a second private conversation happens. And we believe, I believe this conversation is private because, and this is the conversation where the mother, look at verse 20, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons kneeling down and asking him something. I believe that this was a private conversation because in verse 24 it says, and it's temporal, and when the 10 heard of it, they heard that this had happened. So Jesus, is so Zebedee's, The mother of Zebedee's sons, Zebedee's sons are the apostles John and James. The mother of Zebedee's sons comes to Jesus privately with her two boys and says, We need to talk. Can we talk? Can I ask you something? So, this is the second private conversation. And this is what she says. Verse 21, and he said to her, what do you wish? And she said, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one at your right hand and the other at your left, in your kingdom. Now, I read that and I say, what wimps? What? Wimps. (laughs) And don't you see the irony of this? Your mother has to talk for you. Are you serious, guys? Secondly, she is asking for the two most powerful positions. Well, actually, you could say this: the second and third most powerful position that human a human being will ever sit for all of eternity. Jesus, who is fully human and fully God, will sit as head of his kingdom, king of his kingdom. And now she is asking whether the, the two, that her two sons will be the two, the second and third most powerful human beings in the face of the new heavens and the new earth and the kingdom of God, that they would sit at the right. And it never occurred to her that you're asking and, and, and you have to go and ask <laughs> You know, these two men are supposed to be the two most powerful men in the world, and you're asking for them. What a what a wimpy, silly thing this whole thing is. But notice also what she's doing. Notice what she's doing. She is saying, "This is pure and unadulterated selfish ambition." I want my boys to be number one on your side or number two, one on your right and one on your left. I want them to be the two most powerful men in your kingdom besides you. I want them there. This is our chance. This is pure selfish ambition. This is a mother pushing her boys forward. This is a mother saying, listen, we're Z- I'm Zebedee's wife, and Zebedee is a small-time fisherman with a small-time family-run business. It's Zebedee, my husband, it's James, and it's John, and we have this little fishing uh, 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 business out, out, in, out, in, out on the Sea of Galilee, and we pull our fish in, and we smell like fish all the time, we sell our fish, and if it's good fishing season, we eat good. If it's not good fishing season, we don't eat good. And here is my chance for greatness. Here is my chance to be the most powerful, most uh, family ever known in the history of the world. Can you imagine, she's thinking, that my boys are at the right and left hand. Those are my boys up there. This is the family of Zebedee. We're the people that you need to listen to now. We're the people with power. We're the people with recognition. We're gonna get ours now. It's our turn. We're turning the tables over. Besides, what did Jesus say in verse 16? The last will be first and the first will be last. Let's go for it now. No more Romans no more Caesar, no more this, no more that. Zebedee's sons, that's who we're going to be. And she's thinking, why not these two? Why not these two? Just a few, a a little bit uh, earlier in the the story, Jesus said, Peter, James, John, come with me. And they went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And she's starting to think, man, these, these guys are special. These guys are special. Jesus is recognizing it. I want them on the right hand and I want them on the left hand in his power. I want this one to be the most powerful and this one to be the next most powerful in his kingdom. And why not? And why not? These are good boys. They're smart boys. And doesn't Jesus and John have this unique and special relationship? Isn't he the beloved disciple? Now, she may not be as wicked as me, but I would add this. You know what? We need to get out in front of this Peter thing. We need to get out in front of this Peter thing. First of all, Peter, James, and John, you need to come to Peter, James, and John? Why not James and John and Peter? And Peter's, who, who do men say that I am? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. That whole Peter rock thing? We gotta get out in front of this. I want my boys. I want my boys. Can my boys do it? Now notice how Jesus responds in verse 22. Jesus answered and said, "You do not know what you ask." Now, for those, for everybody in this room that does not have a King James Version Bible, you don't right away know who he's addressing right here. If you have the King James Version Bible, it says, "This ye do not know what ye ask," and ye is the is the personal pronoun that means it is plural, and so the you there is you plural. You, plural, do not know what you ask. It's almost as if he just talks over mom now and is going right to his disciples. And he says, you do not know what you ask, you two. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and to be baptized with the baptism that I'm to be baptized with? And what is he referring to? He's referring to verses 18 and 19. He said, are you you willing and able to go through what I'm just about to go through? I'm about to be condemned, I'm about to be mocked, I'm about to be beaten, I'm about to be crucified. Are you ready to do that? And look at their answer. And they said to him, we are able. And our answer is, no, you're not. You are not able to do this. In fact, what is about to play out is that when he's arrested, you're gonna flee. And when he's crucified, you're going to be on the outskirts of the crowd. You're going to be outside the crowd. Uh, uh, John, at least, shows up there, and Mary shows up there, and that's about it. No, you're going to flee. You're going to run. You're going to be on the outer edge. You're not ready. You're not ready. But you will be ready one day. Look at verse 23. So he said to them, you will, future indeed, drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am to be baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom the Father has prepared it. You will, he said, be baptized with this, my baptism. You will drink of this cup, and they will. In fact, James is going to become the very first Christian martyr. He is going to become the very first of the apostles who's killed. It happens early in Acts chapter 12. John will actually be the last apostle probably that died and maybe the only one who didn't die of violent death. And he will, be, he will be on the island of Patmos where he, where he uh, will, will see the revelation and, and such as that. They will die. They will suffer and they will die for the sake of the gospel, but they certainly aren't ready yet. And so that's that conversation, this second private conversation. But in many ways, though, and we're going to get to this, that second conversation seems so sinfully inappropriate after the first conversation, where Jesus is talking about his suffering, and then they're just full of selfish ambition and wanting to get ahead. But then all of this leads to the third private conversation. Look at verse 24. And when they, the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. The word means to be incensed, furious. They were absolutely upset. And Jesus realizes now, okay, they found out about what Zebedee's mom did. I mean, what James and John's mom did. They found out. They, they got, I got problem. All of these disciples now are all at each other's throats. There's a problem. So look at verse 25. And Jesus called them to himself. So here's our third private, guys, we need to talk. Let's get together here. We need to talk. Come over here, you guys. And so it says, and Jesus called them to himself, and he said this. This is the third conversation. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and, exercise, and those who are great exercise authority over them. You know that this is how the world functions. The great people, the power of the great people, they have power. The greatest people rule. Think about this. What does it mean to be great? What does it mean to be great? Think in your head. How does our culture define greatness? That's that's really the issue here. Who are the great ones? James and John wanted to be great in the kingdom. They wanted to be number one. They wanted to have the recognition. They wanted to have the power. They wanted to be able to impose their will upon other people. They wanted to be able to have the power to say what they wanted to say. They wanted to be be there with Jesus, judging the Romans. They wanted to be there with Jesus judging the bad. They wanted to be there with Jesus judging the Gentiles. They wanted to have that kind of power, that kind of authority, that kind of unquestioned obedience to their will, that kind of recognition. Where they wanted people to tremble in their presence at their greatness. They wanted to be able to mold the new heavens and new earth and the creation as they would like it to be. That's how we think of power. How many? That's how we think of greatness. How many people respect us? How many people recognize? How many people tremble in our our place? How many? And Zebedee's family is caught up in this and they want to be a part of that. And notice what Jesus says in verse, uh, and then in verse 26. Yet it shall not be so among you. That definition of greatness has to go. It's wrong. It's wrong. It shall not be so, notice this, among you. This is the kingdom. This is the kingdom. She wants her sons to be left and right in the kingdom. This is the kingdom. Among you it shall not be so. Then notice what he says. For, but whoever desires to become great, there's the idea, become great among you, let him be your servant. Your servant. This is the word diakonos. The word diakonos, we get the word deacon from it. The word diakonos, it means servant, oftentimes in Bible translations or Bible study helps. It'll say one who waits on table, one who actually wraps an apron around himself and waits on tables. That's what the word means. But I did a little bit deeper study of the word this week, and uh, it's interesting because diakonos, the word Greek word diakonos is, is, a, is a compound word of dia and konos, dia and konos, And so it's diakonos. And dia is the word that means through. Diagonal. We get diagonal. It's it's a line that that, that goes through a diagonal. Dia means through. And konos means dust. Dust. And the word means somebody who stirs up dust, stirs up dust, going to serve. Go get me my food. Go feed these cows. Go do this, get moving, get moving, get moving, stir up dust, that's what the word means. It's a lowly word, it's a despicable word. It's a word of, of, of people who, who are almost treated as if they're nothing, get moving, get moving, get stirring up dust. Picture in your mind, and Jesus said, that's greatness. Not what the Gentiles are doing, that's greatness. So think of it, think of this weird picture in your mind. Think of a think of a table, for instance, and around this table are are, are, are well dressed people, and and there's nice china and and, and, and silverware on it, and these are powerful people. Imagine this is this is a, a power meeting of people. Maybe maybe the joint chiefs of staff are there, and, and important political figures are there, and important people of business are there, and and these are powerful people who who have great recognition and are and are making very important decisions. Now picture in your mind, picture in your mind, the waiters and servants and busboys who are running and pouring water and and clearing off the dishes. And, And would you like to have more coffee? Sir, going and getting coffee. And Jesus says, those are the great ones. These guys aren't. This is this is like my friend Tom trying to figure out: wait a minute. This guy thinks way differently than I do. He's waiting for his brother, not for the time. This is another kind of thing. We need to to try to work to get this in our head. Servants are the great ones. Servants are the great ones. Look at the text. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Because servants are the great ones. Verse 27. And whoever desires to be first among you, and that's what they wanted. They wanted preeminence over their brethren. Whoever wants to be, desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Do loss. Let him be your slave. Dear friends, what is this? What is going on here? Well, this is God's value system. This is how God's kingdom is to be ordered. This is God's idea of what is truly great. Who is great in God's kingdom? It's the person who thinks of others before they think of themselves. It's the somebody who has diakonos, stirring up blu- uh, uh, dust, diakonos, s- doula, slave, waiting on tables in the background, hardly even recognized, running from the kitchen and back, taking the dirty dishes off the table while the power people talk. It's thinking and and getting into our heads that this is greatness. The person who's thinking of others, the person who's serving others, the person who's putting other people before themselves, that's greatness. That's what my kingdom is all about, Jesus is saying. It's the people who are tuned in to the needs of other people and not to themselves. It's people who are others-oriented and not self-oriented. It's people who are concerned when they're in the room of the well-being of people that are around them. Not my well-being. The comfort of people that are around them. Are they comfortable? Do they have what they need? Not my comfort. The needs of people around them. Not my needs. It's the good Samaritan who comes along after two people walk past this beaten up, bloodied guy who's lying there, Jewish guy who's lying there, beaten up, bloodied, in the hot Palestinian sun, dying, barely breathing, and the priest and the Levites say, I can't stop, I can't be inconvenienced, I gotta think about my own safety. There's bad guys around here, I need to run off and leave him there. And the good Samaritan stops and he knows he's gonna be inconvenienced. He knows there's bad guys in the area. And he stops and he takes care of his wounds and he pours wine on them. And then he lifts him up and he gets him on his donkey and he walks him down to the, to the inn. And then when he gets to the inn, he spends all night with him putting cold rags on his fever. And then as he's got him stabilized, he gives his credit card to the guy and he says, here, any other expenses, I'll put it on this credit card. I'll take care of it. And that's how Jesus describes what is our neighbor. Not me, not my well-being, not who am I? You see, this is what Je- this is how it is so absolutely different. Jesus' kingdom. Think about the way we as a culture are today. We as a culture today are so geared all of the time to self. We made up the word selfie. We actually have phones that are cameras. But now we have a button we can push, and instead of the camera looking outward, it looks at me and I take my own picture, and I send it off to people. We worry about self-care. We talk about me time. We talk about all of these things that, 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 that we focus. We actually have counselors, and counselors are, are, are making tons and tons of money helping people to become self-oriented. You need to think about yourself. You need to think about yourself. You need to think about You need to think about your career. You need to forget them. You need to think about your happiness. You need to forget them. I have actually known people who have gone to counselors And counselors have told them to leave their spouse just so they'll be happy, to leave their family just so they'll be fulfilled. And Jesus and God sees that as a black hole. The black hole of self that will suck in and suck you in, and will never, ever, 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 ever be happy. Dear friends. Greatness in God's kingdom are those who expend their energies on others. Those who give their time to others. Those who give their resources to others. Those who are not looking for recognition. They don't even care about recognition. Recognition isn't even on their radar. They're not even at time to think about that because they're thinking about others. It's the mother who has baby goo all over her new dress, but she doesn't really care because she loves that baby. And God looks at this, Jesus is saying, and God says, there is greatness. There is greatness. Power, money, success, recognition, likes on Facebook. That means nothing to God. God is totally unimpressed with that. Here's greatness for God. When a person lovingly, patiently cares for their spouse who has Alzheimer's, a spouse who doesn't even recognize them anymore. God looks upon that and he says, oh my, there's greatness. A parent who's up in the middle of the night dragging herself for himself, sleep just aching, their body aching for sleep, but staying up in the middle of the night to comfort a hurting baby. God says, oh my, there's greatness. A dad cheerfully working a second job to help pay for medical expenses or an education for his children. God says, there's greatness. A brother or sister in Christ behind the scenes doing acts of love in unglamorous service, helping a friend, helping a brother, helping somebody in need, helping them, inconveniencing themselves, getting themselves exhausted. God says, wow, wow. That's great. You see, the things that wow us, they don't wow God. Listen how J.C. Ryle put it in your handout that you have there. He says this, the standard of the world and the standard of the Lord Jesus Christ are indeed widely different. They are more than different. They are flatly contradictory to one another. Among the children of this world, he has thought the greatest man who has the most land, most money, most servants, most rank, and most earthly power. Among the children of God, he has reckoned the greatest who does most to promote the spiritual and temporal happiness of his fellow creatures. True greatness consists not in receiving but in giving, not in self-absorption, he would have called it selfies, of good things, but in imparting good to others, not in being served, but in serving; not in sitting still, but being minister and being ministered to, but in going about and ministering to others. The angels of God see far more beauty in the work of the missionary than in the work of the Australian digger of gold. This was written in the early in the mid eighteen hundreds. They take far more interest in the labors of men like Howard and Judson, two, two great missionaries. Than in the victories of generals, the political speeches of statesmen, and the council chambers of kings, let us remember these things. Let us beware of seeking false greatness. Let us aim at that which alone is true. We may be sure there is profound wisdom in the saying of our Lord, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And dear friends, here is the biggest wow factor for God. When God sees us serving, when God sees the doulaces, when God sees the diakonos, when God sees that his people have have, have imbibed us in their heart and they're giving and they're serving and they're caring about others and they're thinking about others, and the last thing that occurs to them is, what about me? The greatest wow for God is verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. See how that ties in then? To verses 18 and 19, I'm going to Jerusalem to do this. I'm going to ransom you. I am going to die. I am going to give myself. I am not stopping and saying, what about me? See, dear friends, this is the very nature of who God is. This is why God's kingdom is, is built like this. This is why God's value system is like this. This is the very nature of who God is. The very nature of who God is is to give. He's a God who gives and gives and gives and gives. He is a He, he is a God like this, and this is the nature. We see it in the 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 Son of God, who came and who gave and who gave. This is the very nature of redemption. The very nature of redemption is a God who graciously gives his son, a God who gives his son, a God who's concerned about our well being, a God who sacrifices, a Son of God who comes and who gives and who gives. Dear friends, this is the whole reason for the entire universe and the entire creation and history and time was to reveal that this is a God of grace. This is a God who gives. This is a God who's more concerned about you and more concerned about your well being than even you are, a God who's willing to sacrifice. God who gives and gives and gives. This is the glory of God that God is love and God is giving and God gives and gives and gives. And this is why selfish ambition amongst God's people and in the church is such an ugly thing. This is what makes verse 20 so ugly. You look at verse 20 and verse 21. This striving, this grasping is so ugly. And dear friends, that when that breaks out in the church, What a horrible thing. Even the word diakonos is translated in some of your Bibles minister or ministry. And even that word then becomes twisted as if I'm the minister and I have power now and I have recognition. Look at chapter 23 and verse eight. Jesus thinks so differently. God thinks so differently than us. But you do not be called rabbi or pastor or minister. For one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father. How the Catholic Church even thinks of getting away with that. Here it is in the Bible. For one is your father, he who is heaven. And do not be called teachers, titles. For one is your teacher, the Christ. Look at verse 11. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant diakonos diakonos that's the great title the one who stirs up dust in running to serve other people you say yeah but if i do this if i do this i'm going to be taken advantage of if i live my life like this and i take this radical step to be like this and think only of self and not of, uh, only of others and not of self i'm going to be a doormat i'm going to lose all my rights Yep, probably, but look at what happens. Look in Philippians chapter two, just look at what happens. I'm not gonna take a lot of time here, but I do want you to see this because it's no more beautifully played out than this. In Philippians chapter two, Paul tells the Philippians in verse three, let nothing be done Through selfish ambition or conceit, which is exactly what Zebedee's wife was doing. But in lowliness of mind, esteem others better than yourselves. And let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Here he is turning us outward. Where do you get this? Verse five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, who being God himself, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself no reputation, taking on the form of a doulos, a slave, and becoming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself even further and became obedient to the point of death. He gave himself up to die. And then it's as if Paul shudders because as a Roman citizen, he would never have to die this way. He shudders at this despicable way of death, even the death of the cross. But now look at verse 9. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him. You see what I see the therefore there? See the therefore Therefore, because of, because Jesus self-demoted, self-demoted, put others before himself, gave of himself, sacrificed himself, bled, died, was mocked, was weak, was beaten, gave himself, forced himself to Jerusalem, did everything against the will, cried in Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done, gave himself, gave himself, gave himself, because he gave himself lower and lower and lower, taking from the form of man, God taking the form of man, from the form of man then, dying in obedience to God because he kept lowering himself and making himself nothing. Therefore, because of that, verse 9, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Dear friends, serve Give, be a diakonos, be a doulos. God will raise you up. Don't worry about getting your recognition. Don't worry about getting your, don't worry about being a doormat because God will see your service. God will see what you're doing. God will see your self-sacrifice for the good of others. And God will say, oh my, that's great. Oh my, that's great. Oh my, that's great. And God will say, and I will remember this. Because Jesus said, A man does not give a cup of cold water in my name, but that he will be rewarded in heaven. God says, Oh my, I will remember this. Oh, what a great thing. Nobody saw that. Nobody saw that. I saw it. I saw that mother up late at night with that baby. I saw that dad working that extra job and, and sacrificing while all of his buddies were playing golf or, or sitting in a bar. I saw that dad, that dad working hard to take care of it. Oh my, there's greatness. Oh my, there's greatness. I saw that, that servant in the church serving. I saw that one taking care of that elderly. I saw that one reaching out to the young people that they could come to Christ. I see this, oh my, this is great. This is great. And I'm gonna remember this and I'm gonna recognize them and I'm gonna highly exalt them on the final day. And so, dear friends, let me ask you, let me encourage you, be ready to embrace, embrace, embrace this new way of thinking. My friend Tom, when he was in Africa, he said, I'm gonna to need to embrace this new way of, of, of relating to time. I am telling you, dear friends, we need to embrace this understanding of what greatness is, this understanding of what we're called to be. And I wanna urge you, push back, push back hard, push back hard against the social media generation that, that, that tries to force us in the other direction to think about us, to get as many likes as we can, to post selfies all the time. And I'm not saying never post a selfie, but posting, posting, thinking of you, thinking of you, giving an image of yourself, making you making you, making you, get your happiness, get all that you can, get it for yourself, be for yourself, think about it. We need to push hard against that and say, no, no, I'm following my Savior who demoted himself, who wrapped a rag around his waist and washed his disciples' feet to show me how I'm supposed to live my life. No, dear friends, in that change of thinking that servanthood is greatness, the loss is the great, not the king or the chief or the general, that change of thinking will only come as you embrace and understand and meditate and grow in understanding this gospel. God gave his son. His son died for me. Jesus took on human flesh. Jesus became a servant. Jesus worked as a nobody in Nazareth for 30 years as a carpenter. Nobody ever heard of him. This is what I need to be. He died on the cross, a criminal. He could have called down legions of angels. He died on the cross as a criminal so that all of my sins could be forgiven. And as he becomes more real to you it will transform your way of thinking finally are any of you lost who are here are you lost are you stuck in the terrible black hole of self it's all about you i'm going to tell you dear friends that will be that is the avenue to unhappiness if god himself finds his happiness in joy in giving and in others. How do you think you will find happiness in absorbing everything? Me, 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 me. That's a way of destruction, dear friends. It's a way of unhappiness. Maybe the alcohol will make me happy. Maybe more likes will make me happy. Maybe sex will make me happy. Maybe my career will make me happy. Maybe relationships will make me happy. Maybe this new experience will make me. And you just keep coming up empty. Me, 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 look at me, recognize me, success, me, me. And it just gets more and more brittle and ugly. But I want to tell you what's really going to be ugly. That day you stand before a holy God as an absolute, wretched, disgusting, ugly, self-centered being. No wow here from God now. You're standing before God, and then you belittled and ignored the one great act of self-giving, God giving his son. How will you stand on that final day? There will be such a rush to get you in hell and out of the sight of God and the angels and the saints because of your ugly self-centeredness. You're going to be right sent to hell just as quickly to get you out of his sight and to be amongst satan and the others that you belong dear ones you need to understand this lie that our culture is giving that yourself is to be the center of all things is a damnable lie from hell and you will perish children High schoolers, listen to me. You will perish if you listen to these lies that it's all about your Facebook page, it's all about yourself, it's all about your image. It's not. That's a pathway to hell. No, 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 no. Look to Jesus. There's the pathway to heaven. The self-giving, self-sacrificing Savior who offers now to bring you into his loving arms, embrace you with his scarred hands, and say, I'm ready to forgive, and to give you a new heart, and to give you true happiness in me. Oh, dear ones, come to Christ, I pray. Come to Christ, I pray. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for bringing us here today and challenging our very way of thinking exposing our wicked culture and helping us to see things as you see them. Oh, Lord Jesus, we're just so amazed at who you are and that you left the throne of glory and that you took on human flesh and became a small little baby and that you grew and lived among us and that you gave in obedience. You walked and marched to Jerusalem and you suffered. And you died for us we praise you we thank you that we have a self-giving self-sacrificing self-denying savior oh father please help us we pray change us transform us i thank you for this church and how this has been so evident in our church how humble these dear people are how little Politics. how almost nothing of selfish ambition is seen in this place. Father, I pray that you will help us to be such people. Help us to continue to be such people. Help us, we pray, to put others above ourselves. Help us to care for the needy and not our own needs primarily. And help us to trust you that in the end all things will be made right. And Father, if there is any who are here today who are just simply dying, starving to death because they've been trying to feed that monster self, I pray that you will help them, that you will open their eyes, and you will bring them to Jesus where they could find great joy. Save them, I pray. Open their eyes. Draw them, I pray. In Jesus' precious name.